So we had, last week you had a sermon by Graham's, hard to follow Graham's sermon, um, on um, the church in um, Pergamum. And it's this Pergamum was a city where the devil had his throne, wasn't it? Where Satan had his throne. But what about here? What about in Derby? Does Satan have his throne in Derby? No. So who has the throne in Derby? We believe Jesus Christ has his throne over Derby. Amen. So turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus Christ has his throne over Derby. Come on, you can do it. (laughs) Amen. That's not so hard, was it? But we can declare, can't we? We can declare Jesus Christ has his throne over Derby. Darby belongs to Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Little over belongs to Jesus Christ. Little over Methodist Church belongs to Jesus Christ. And we say in this church, Jesus Christ has his throne in this place and he reigns. He has his rule. It's his will, his purpose, his desire. Amen. In the same way, Jesus Christ has his throne and his reign in our houses and our homes and our families and our lives. And we want to see Jesus reign there too, don't we? Well, some of you have it. Three, just... Nailed it a big deep. Oh, man. <laughs> Didn't get the rest of you. Amen. Yeah. Amen. We want to see Jesus reign in every aspect of our life. And it says that in the church of um, Thyatira, Thyatira, it says um, that those who are victorious and do my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. And praise God, the gospel spread over all the nations, hasn't it? Many nations, many tongues, many languages proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And just looking out today, I can see a lot of different nations and nationalities. So what what, what nations and nationalities do we have this morning? So tell me, tell me, tell me what, what different nationalities do we have this morning? We've got a Brazilian down the back, who else? English? Oh... Very good. Scottish. Gambia. Ghana. Colombia. Jamaican. Nigeria. What's that? I couldn't get that one. Cameroon. Sierra Leone. Angola. Yorkshire. Anybody else? Uganda. South Sudan. Wow, that's a lot of nations, isn't it? Goodness me. Wow. Oh yeah, we forgot, we've got yeah, we've got the it's it's Swedish, isn't it? Can't forget the Swedes are very quiet, aren't they? We can't forget. <laughs> so we've got different di- many different languages, different tongues, different nations here. And it just shows you that those who are victorious, you, that you will rule that Christ will rule the nations, isn't it? The Christ is already demonstrating he's ruling the nations in every, every place in the world. People are being drawn to Jesus Christ. And even here today we can see that witness as many nations and many people are drawn in to worship with us. And we praise God for that. It's amazing, isn't it? It's incredible what God is doing here in our lives and in the world. So I want to get into the text a bit. And... Um, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, I, I write, uh, they may come up on the screen, they may not, verse 18 onwards from Revelation chapter 2. And it says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, I write, these are the words 
of the Son of, of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are burnished like bronze. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing picture of Jesus, isn't it? Can you imagine having that vision of Jesus, that picture of Jesus, that his, his eyes are like flaming fire, and his feet are burnished like bronze? That's quite a scary picture, isn't it? Because we all kind of like the nice picture we use like a little lamb, isn't it? And he's kind of, everyone's cute and nice and Jesus, lover of my soul. But here's a Jesus here standing before his throne with eyes with blazing fire and bronze upon his feet. Why, why is his eyes like fire? Because he's angry. <laughs> he's standing there, he's furious. There's something that he's not happy with. There's something that he doesn't like. He's standing there with his eyes upon fire to show his fury, to show his power, to show his authority, to show who he is. That when we see Jesus, we see the person who is the ruler of the universe, who has power over all principalities and authorities, the one who can come and break every bondage and stronghold, the one who can set people free. That is the Jesus that we stand before. And the Jesus with the bronze upon his feet. And his bronze upon his feet is like, it's like armor upon his feet. Why would he have armor upon his feet? Because he's going to crush his enemies. He's going to crush those principalities and powers. He's going to crush sickness and death and disease and heart and pain and greed and envy and all. He's going to crush them beneath his feet, isn't he? That's the kind of Jesus I want, isn't it? You know, if I've got something in my life that I want broken, I want a Jesus with the blazing fires and the bronze feet who's coming to say, I'm coming to set you free, Gary. I'm coming to give you hope. I'm breaking your chains. Your sins are forgiven. I'm raising you up. I'm coming against that fear that's in your life, that heart, that depression, that anger, that bitterness. I'm coming to it, and I'm going to break it, and I'm going to set you free. It's not like Jesus we want. The Jesus who can break all chains. The Jesus of authority and power. The Jesus who can bring hope to Derby. The Jesus who can bring hope to Littleover. The Jesus who can set people free. The Jesus who can bring people to faith. And we declare that, don't we? We declare that in Jesus' name. We declare over our city we declare over our, our church. We declare over our lives God's blessing and hope. We declare a Jesus who can set people free. A Jesus who can bring forgiveness. A Jesus who can heal. A Jesus who can come against the spirit of infirmity. A Jesus who can break our chains. A Jesus who can raise us up in the power of the spirit to worship him and glorify him and honor him. We declare that over our church, don't we? We say, Jesus, come with those eyes of blazing fire, with those feet of bronze, and crush and break the things in our lives, in our church. Come and speak to us and make us the people that you want us to be. Raise us up and come against those things that are holding us back. Amen? Why do we want things that are holding us back and pulling us down? We want Jesus to break them, don't we? To break the bonds, to break the change, to break the apathy. 
We want Jesus to come and open the opportunity for the Spirit to flow. We want to be hearts that are receptive and say, Jesus, come, bring your Holy Spirit that we might be set in fire. Who wants to be set in fire? Not literally, but by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Better just make sure that. If you do want to be set in fire, we'll get a good psychiatrist for you. <laughs> but who wants to be set in fire? We're getting there, getting there. See, fire's infectious, so we've got seven people who want to be saved. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. It's got twenty. Now, God, keep on doing it. Flow, fire, 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 more fire. Come on, we want to see the Holy Spirit. Because when we come here, and we're anticipating, and we're anticipating to meet that Jesus who can set us free, that Jesus who can bring hope, that Jesus who can break your chains, then we come in anticipation that the Spirit can move. Because Jesus wants to do something amongst us today, doesn't he? He wants to give us a word. If you're sick, he wants to heal you. If you're broken, he wants to restore you. He wants to do that. But there's things that he has to change and make different and break. There's things in your life that, you, that, that need to happen. So when you come here, you'll come with anticipation. Who's, who's got anticipation this morning that God's going to do something? Or you're just bored with a Scottish guy talking? <laughs> We come in anticipation. We really need to come with anticipation to believe that God can move. Because when we come with that anticipation, that hope, that saying, Father, I'm coming and I'm making a doorway for you, Jesus, to come in this morning. Amen. We're making a doorway for the Holy Spirit to move this morning. And that doorway's through our hearts and our minds and our souls, isn't it? Coming and saying, I believe, I know what our God can do. I'm calling the Holy Spirit down. I'm calling the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to transform and change, to make us that community that is the beacon on the hill that people will be drawn to us, not because of us, not because of the preaching, not because of the worship, not because of what we do, not because of our activities, but because the Spirit of God is here. Amen. Because the God is here and the Father's presence is here. And when you come here, you experience the glory of God and you'll be drawn to the glory of God. You cannot be but drawn to the glory of God. And Jesus says to the church in Thyatira, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your servants and perseverance, and that you're doing more than you did at first. Isn't that amazing? That's nice words, isn't it? Doesn't get go well after that. It doesn't doesn't go well at all after that. Actually goes really bad. It's probably Thyatira gets probably the worst <laughs> the worst telling off by Jesus of all the churches. It just goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. Yeah, it's probably the most, the best church out of lot. You know, if we were comparing today, this church is good. You know, I know your deeds, they've got good deeds, that they're people who go out and they live their faith and they're they're making impact in the world and they're doing good things. I know your love. It's, it's, it's a church. It's not like Ephesus. They, they've lost their first love. They've got a love. A love for each other. A love for God. A love for the community. There's a love that is there. That's incredible, isn't it? So this isn't a church that's lost their first love. They're still in love with God. And I know your faith. It's a church that has faith. Your service. And when we talk about service, that means acts of good deeds. So this is a church that's it's serving its community, it's doing acts of good deeds, it's, it's doing social action and social justice, it's going out there and feeding the poor and the needy, it's making a big difference in its community. 
And he says, I know I know, and I know that you're doing more than you did at first. Amen, isn't it? Yeah. That seems like every church, isn't it? You're doing more than you did at first. But it's always a good sign when the church is doing more, isn't it? Rather than less. So this is a church that's grown. You know, they start off as a, as a small community, but now they're growing. They're, they're doing much more than they ever did before. They're making an impact. They're in love with God. Their worship's fantastic. You know, they're, they're just, it's, just, it's just an amazing place to be. It's the HTB, the, the hill songs of the church, seven churches of Revelation. <laughs> you know, this, this, is, this, this is the highlight of all the churches that are in the churches of Revelation, but God's got something to say against them. So it's amazing that we can be a church that's growing, that has a love for God, that has dynamic faith and worship, that's making an impact on the community. We think, what's Jesus got to say against that? Isn't that the perfect church? Isn't that the purpose-driven church? <laughs> you know, shouldn't we be making a book about this church in Thyatira? Shouldn't we be writing about it and saying, here's the principles you need to follow to have a good, growing, prosperous church where the love of God's going, where you have faith and you have power? No? Have you read the second part? Is that why? You're stepping ahead of me now. That's... But you can have all that. And you can have an amazing church and you can come to church on Sunday, but when you leave the church on Sunday afternoon, is your life a compromise? Are you compromising with the world? Do you go back into society on Monday morning, back to church on Monday, back to work on Monday and go, wow, that was great. We've got such an amazing church full of faith and love. Yeah, and the worship was amazing. The band was amazing. It was incredible. Oh, that's be till Sunday again. Forget that. And go on with my life. And do what I want to do and live the way I want to live. And get involved in things like that. Because, you know, I don't want a complicated life. I don't want a difficult life. I just want to worship God. Be in a great community. And get on with things. But actually, when your faith has to impact every aspect of your life, that becomes challenging, doesn't it? We have to leave church on Sunday and take the message or, or take what God said to you through Scripture and live that Monday to Saturday. And to be in your community, to be in your family, to be there and to live with that love and faith and power, to be preaching the gospel, to be challenging, to be leading people to Christ. To be talking about how good the gospel is, about God's done for you, about your faith that you have in Him. That's a hard bit, isn't it? I mean, it's a, I, mean I think I said this before, but it's, it's always pe- people go and say, uh, people at work, and they say, So, so what are you doing the weekend? Um, uh, um, yeah, well, I'm doing lots of seeing my family, doing things. And, um, so, are you a Christian? Well, I go to church. that's the classic response I go to church what does that mean you go to church tell me, explain to me what does it mean you go to church is that what we do as Christians we go to church 
No, we don't. It's much more, isn't it? It's a loving relationship with our Father in heaven who we adore and glorify, who transforms every aspect of our life and every part of our life is submitted to our Father in heaven. We say, Father, your will be done, not mine. Father, you give me the opportunity to tell many people and all people how great and wonderful you are. Father, tell me, tell, help me tell people about Jesus Christ and how he died on the cross for me and for them so that they might know Jesus and all that he's done for them, that he's laid his life upon the cross that we might know you, Father, and love you and have this incredible experience in life that I have, which is much more than going to church. But it's been in relationship with you, Father. But there's demands the gospel applies to us, isn't it? It's challenging at times. It's difficult at times to walk and to follow Jesus and to believe in him. And to honor him. But then he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Oh, Jezebel. Oh, goodness me. Who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Whoa. We start to see a problem in this church, don't we? Looks fantastic. Sounds fantastic, but there's a problem at the heart of the church. There's a lady called, I don't know if she's called Jezebel. That's an unusual name, you know. It's, it's call your child a Jezebel. You know, I heard one person tell a story and then a family just become Christian and they'd called her, they called her daughter Jezebel but they hadn't read the story in the Bible yet. So. <laughs> you get in Brussels, you get lots of Judases. You know, like, what's your name, Judas? Whoa. <laughs> so you get some unusual names. But this, this, this lady, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, but by her teaching she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed either. So you're starting to see this is perhaps a church that's not as persecuted as um, Smyrna or Pergnum. It's a church maybe it's the society accepts the Christians a bit more and the Christians are a bit more accepting of the society around them. <laughs> and it's a bit like the church I think Graham said the church goes, as a church we should go into the world, but the world shouldn't come into the church. And what we're seeing here is, in Thyatira, is, is the world starting to come into the church and influence and impact the church. There's a, the, the part that they've got here, which is going on, is that they've got this prophetess who's, who's telling them it's okay to go to the temple. It's okay to go and make the sacrifices to the idols. In fact, it's okay to get involved in sexual immorality. And that's fine. And we don't even mean it sounds from the text that actually people in the church are actually engaging in sexual immorality with this prophetess who's, who's declaring these things. That's a challenge, isn't it? 
That's really hard. How does how do your church do you deal with that when you have that type of teaching uh, from prophetesses coming amongst you and saying things that the Bible, which the church and the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15 says you shouldn't do? I mean, it was known in the church at those times you shouldn't sacrifice to idols, you shouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols. That's Acts 15, Council of Jerusalem. You know, shouldn't eat an animal that's been strangled. So there's not a lot of laws on the Gentiles. They don't have to do a lot to be Christians, you know, and to be in the faith. They don't have to get circumcised. They don't have to follow Jewish traditions. But they shouldn't sacrifice to idols. They shouldn't get involved in sexual immorality. And they shouldn't eat meat strangled. Quite simple, isn't it? But we see this fantastic, great, brilliant church, the hill songs of the Revelations, the seven churches of Revelations, is actually doing the three things that <laughs> they're told not to do. It could be many reasons for that. Maybe the sense that the church doesn't want to be persecuted, and perhaps why the, that's why the church is growing. The church is saying, well, let's just go and make the sacrifices to the idols. Let's be involved in um, the sexual immorality, immorality. That means we won't lose our jobs. We'll have work. We won't be in poverty. We won't be like the people in Smyrna who are in famine and, and the, the, we can see their bones because they're so hungry because they won't sacrifice to the idols. They, they won't go to the temple. They won't say that Caesar is Lord. We don't want to be like the people in Smyrna. Let, let's go and do this. Let's go and, and just take part in it. It, it. it doesn't really matter. It's not really anything. But if we go there and do it, we've got work. We've got food. Our family's okay. Our church is prosperous. We are prosperous. Everyone's okay. That's tempting, isn't it? Come on, don't lie. It's tempting, isn't it? <laughs> you can have you can have your church and have a really good church, and you can have you can have you can have what the, you can have what the Roman society offered, and you could say Caesar is Lord on Monday, and say Jesus is Lord on Sunday, and you can have food and work. You won't be persecuted. You can go on with your life, you can be peaceful, you can feed the poor, you can, make, you can do your service, you can do your good deeds, you can do all these things. But does it come at a compromise to do that? That's difficult, isn't it? That's really difficult. I don't think that's much different from where we are in much of our society today, isn't it? The choices that sometimes we have to make, sometimes when we have to look at our faith in the Bible and what God says, and, and the impact of what society says. And, you know, there's lots of things that society are good to do that the church can learn from. But there's also things in which we look at the Bible and we understand what is our standard of faith. What is the supreme standard of faith? It's the Bible, the Word of God, isn't it? And we are fortunate this time that we have the Word of God to stand on and to believe and have truth and to know that is our guide and that the Spirit is leading us and speaking to us, but always takes us back to the foundation of the Word. And anything that goes against the Word of God and directs us away from that, it's difficult. And so this, this lady's in the church and she's given prophecies. Prophecies why they should do this. <laughs> she's teaching people why they should do this. She's teaching people why they should engage in the temple worship and sexual immorality. It's not just enough to have a quiet life, but actually teaching and prophesying it amongst the community. And Christ says, 
stands there angry before the church because you tolerate this woman, Jezebel, amongst you. What's the community doing either? Because the leaders are going, oh, <laughs> who's going to talk to Jezebel? <laughs> what are we going to do about it? Help us, you know. Oh, well, my goodness me. We were a good church, but this is going to end it all, isn't it? <laughs> it's difficult. It's really challenging. And so I imagine when the church got this word and the, and the, and the stewards got this letter from John, they were like, right, who's got the short straw? <laughs> Nana, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's really, really challenging. It could be that um, she's not a particularly bad person, but she's thinking about um, like Acts chapter 8, where, where Paul's saying, you know, that when you eat food sacrificed to idols and, and do these things, they're just empty idols. There's nothing there. They, they mean nothing. So maybe Jezebel's going to him saying, look, these are just idols. They're nothing. They mean nothing. We've heard Paul speak on it. Paul told us that these idols, they're just wood. They have no significance. They have no power over us. There is only one God in heaven. Amen. And so these mean nothing. There's, no, there's only one God. So these aren't gods. These are nothing. These are just idols made by men. And they have no power over us. So why should we worry about that? When we go to the temple, we're not seeing a real God here. It's just a little wooden figure. You know, it's just a, it's like a Barbie doll or something. It's nothing, it's nothing real or, or significant. But the problem was... Even if they weren't significant, even if these gods didn't live, the spirit of these idols, the spirit of their immorality, the spirit of their idolatry, the spirit of, the, of, the, the, of what, what they impacted on the society were all around you. So you might say it's just a wooden idol, but the manifestation of the values of that idol, the principles of that idol, the impact that idol had in people's lives. The control that idol had over the laws of the society. The, the way if you didn't worship this idol, you could starve and lose your job and be hungry. You could be put in prison. So although they're only little wooden idols, they're making an impact on society and changing it. And so you may not worship it. It may not mean anything, but it impacts every part of your life. And so even if you go into that temple, and even if you go into that situation, there's that danger of being drawn into temptation, isn't there? There's always the temptation of being drawn into temptation. I'm easily distracted. I'm one minute sitting there. I steward's meeting. Next minute I'm looking at the window going, squirrel! (laughs) You can get easily distracted. You can get tempted. You can get drawn into things. And there was people within the community who... Even in Acts 8, when Paul's engaging it, and maybe that's what Jezebel's saying, these are just empty idols. Go to temple. Don't lose your job. Don't be hungry. These things are empty. You know, when they're doing the sexual immorality, find out that corner and hiding it and just don't get, in, get involved. Just show your face. You know, that's the, you always go to something you have to show your face to. You don't want to be there, but you've got to show your face. Is that right? Yeah? Is it just me? Is, it, <laughs> is that just a minister? Is it just... <laughs> There's things you just got to show your face. See, Jezebel, just show your face. Everybody show your face? No? 
But then Paul says, but the fact is, there's weaker brothers and sisters among us, isn't there? There's those who, with this teaching and with this point of view that Jezebel might bring, might stumble and fall. Isn't that true? And sometimes we can be strong in our faith and we're going to go, I can do all things in Jesus Christ. Nothing can stop me at all. It's like that song. <laughs> Nothing can, you can be so strong, so powerful, but you don't realize you maybe you're trampling people as you go along in your faith and your liberty and your freedom of what you can do and what you can engage in. And there's some people who are just new Christians or being a Christian for a few years have been a long time or sitting in the corner going, oh, how do I deal with that? How do I get that? Holy Spirit, help me, guide me. Oh, it's that kind of that powerful prayer you make, isn't it? It's like, God, help me. <laughs> it, it's, it, you know, so there's people who really struggle. And so Paul's saying, you know, actually, you know, these meat sacrificed to idols, I could eat them. The idols mean nothing to me. But if it causes one of my brothers and sisters to stumble, I would rather not eat meat for the rest of my life. And what's Jezebel saying? Eat the meat. <laughs> have the barbecue. I love barbecue. <laughs> the Jezebel would have got me in a minute. <laughs> so if it's rump steak, I'll be gone. So it's, it is, <laughs> but Jezebel's going to eat the barbecue, engage with it, and Paul's saying, I would rather never eat meat. I would rather never step in a temple. I would rather never go near an idol. I would, never, I would rather not go near sexual immorality. I would never go near anything that would cause my brother to stumble for the rest of my life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a better attitude to Jezebel's? And I would rather as a pastor, as a minister, to warn you and caution you and say to you, it's better to stay away from those things that might cause other people to stumble and go into sexual immorality, to go into uh, worship other gods, to do other things that may cause them problems. And I would rather stay as far away from them as possible to prevent people from stumbling. Amen. And when we start to say it seems good to the Holy Spirit in us, when you hear people say that, run. <laughs> run. Because the Holy Spirit is revealed through the Word of God. And when we prophesy and we speak, it should always be consistent with what God has already taught us through our fathers, through the Bible. And when prophecy takes us beyond the bounds of the Bible and beyond the bounds of truth and the bounds of God's reality, then we're getting into the realms of dark secrets and difficult things and things that may cause us to stumble and to fall and to hurt each other, which is not, not a good thing. And then Jesus said, have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling so I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. That's incredible, isn't it? Repentance is incredibly important. We need to repent of our ways. 
Because when we don't repent, we're heading for that bed of suffering. We're heading for those difficult places in life. We're going in directions in life that we don't want to go to. So when God calls us to repentance, what do we do, church? We re- I can't hear you. Repent, don't we? Amen. We repent, don't we? When God challenges, even even King King David, um, when he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and, and killed her husband, and then <laughs> it caused all sorts of trouble. And then Nathan came and challenged David, and he told him the story of this man who'd took, taken this man's wife, killed her husband, had a baby with her, and things. Oh, and Nathan says, "What do you think should happen to that man, King David? I would kill him on the spot if I found him." And Nathan said, "It's you." Repent and turn back to God. Come back to God in repentance. Repent. And David repented. Even, even Jezebel was, was the queen of Israel when she came from, a, from Sidon, I think, was the place that she came from, Sidon. And um, it said her husband Ahab wasn't a particularly good man, isn't that as the Bible says? Anyway, he wasn't a particularly good man, but when he met Jezebel, Whee! <laughs> it all went downhill when Ahab and Jezebel got together. You know, Ahab wasn't a particularly good king. He was evil. He didn't do right things. But when he met Jezebel, Jezebel worshipped the Baals, worshipped a different god from Yahweh. And then Jezebel influenced Ahab. And before you know it, all over Israel are worshipping the Baals, are worshipping other gods than Yahweh. Isn't that amazing? The power that Jezebel had on Ahab's life. And even Ahab, um, he wanted a, a, a field that belonged to another man. And um, he went to that man and said, I want that field. Can you give it to me? It's just closer to my house. You know, I don't have to walk as far. You know, I'm going to make a nice little herb garden. And the, the man said to him, well, it actually belongs to my family. And, well, you know, it should be a tradition. And by the law, I can't sell that to you because if, it belo- if it's been passed down generation to generation, it must be in the generation by the law of God. Ahab wasn't happy. He went fuming home to, as all men do, fuming to their wives. Jezebel, he won't give me the field. Can you believe it? He won't give me the field. What am I going to do about it? Oh, well, I'll just leave it. And then Jezebel says, don't be such a wimp. I'll get that field for you, Ahab. Oh, my goodness me. And then she had made false accusations, accusations against the man who owned the field, had him stoned to death, and then took the field for Ahab, and gave Ahab the field. Then as Ahab was planting his herbs, Elijah came to him and said, you know, God's against you. You're going to suffer. You're going to be in pain. Dogs are going to eat your flesh. Imagine I'm going to king. Dogs are going to eat your flesh. You're going to be in the dirt. You're going to be punished. Your life is ended because of what you have done now. And Ahab was a really evil man. He was a horrible man taking the people into worshipping foreign gods. Yet even Ahab repented before God in sackcloth and ashes and repented and said, Let God forgive me. I don't want this destiny that God has for me. And Elijah says, Okay, because you repented, God has seen your heart that you have truly repented. And this punishment will come upon your children. So he didn't escape it. It still just went upon his children. But even Ahab repented before God. He said, 
Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. God's the one who searches hearts and minds, isn't it? You can't hide from God. You know, you're thinking there this morning, you're thinking, uh, this, this preacher's not getting to me, I'm, I'm, I'm switched off, I'm thinking about my chicken at home, uh, I'm thinking about my, my really grumpy boss on Monday and all the things that are going on. God knows your hearts and your minds. He knows them, he's searching them. You can't sit here this morning and pretend that you're, you're hiding from God. You can't. God's searching your heart and mind right now. He's looking at you. He's searching your motives and the reasons. He's looking at your responses. He's calling you now to repent. He's calling you now to change situations in your life. He's calling you to come closer back to him. He's calling you to examine what you believe. He's calling you to to repent over actions that have maybe caused hurt and pain in the past, even though we think we're a, a great church or a great person, or maybe you're like Ahab with a Jezebel and you've got really bad. <laughs> He's calling you to repent and to come back to him. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not earned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose on any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Isn't that amazing? You know, in the midst of difficulty and challenge and heart and pain, in the midst of difficult teaching, midst of prophets speaking to us and false prophets speaking to us and trying to discern what God's will is and what is right and what is wrong, Jesus says to us, hold firm, hold firm to what you have until I come. Because I don't want to put any more burden on you. Jesus knows your burdens. He knows what you've got in your life. He knows the struggles. He knows the difficulties. And he doesn't want to place any more burden on you. That's beautiful, isn't it? I just think that's incredible. He doesn't want to put more burden on me. He wants to take burden off me. He wants me to hold on to what I have in life. That I might follow him and believe him and be faithful to him. To be simple in my faith. I want to be a simple Christian. <laughs> I want to have simple belief. I don't want to overcomplicate it. I just want to hold on to what I have, to know what's good, to know the good things in life and to serve him in truth and honesty and belief, knowing that he searches my heart and his mind. And to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Amen. To the one who does God's will, he will make him victorious or her victorious and he will give him power over nations. He'll give you power over Little Over. He'll give you power over Derby. Isn't that amazing? Is that what you want? That we start to declare that we're being faithful, we're being victorious, we're holding on to what we have and we're declaring when we do that we will have the inheritance of the nations. And we're already seeing that, aren't we? We're already inheriting the nations. We're already inheriting Little Over. We're already inheriting Derby. We've got to proclaim that and declare that and not go and say, oh, well, the church is dying in the UK. no. God's just making a way for his growth, isn't he? God's making way for revival. God's making way for awakening. God's making a way for new life. God's planting new seeds. God's raising up new generations. God's raising up new hope. You know, for whatever we look and we see in the flesh, the spirit, we see different, don't we? And so we look in the spirit of what God is doing and declare that he is good and that he has authority over all the nations which he shares with us from the Father. And I will also give that one, the morning star, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's just hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches and listen to God's word. Amen.